Look, you can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious. That ball was on the line. Short Hello, up. Chris. Hey, Caitlin. Oh, he's toying with How's him How's it going? Now. Pretty good. It's hot in New York. Am I right? It's hot in New York. It is super hot and humid. It's like 100% humidity. It's pretty gross. Yes. Uh, so hot that have you gotten outside to play at all? Actually, I played yesterday inside okay. at the National Tennis Center. But, wow. Uh, I, I think my my like skin would combust if I tried to play outside right now. <laughs> all right. So we have guests today. We have guests who are in a more northern climb. Jonathan Newman and James Rogers are joining us, co-hosts of The Body Serve, which is one of my favorite tennis podcasts, and they are based in Toronto. Hey, gents. Hey, guys. Hey. Thank you so much for coming on the main draw. Seriously, it's our pleasure. Excited to be here. Thank you. We are 75% Canadian today. How does that feel, Chris? Do you feel uh, like we're about to mutiny? I mean, if I was going to be down 3 to 1 to any nationality, I think I'd pick Canada. It's still very, very, very comfortable. <laughs> you know, that whole Canadians are polite, it's really overstated. So don't hang your head at that. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see how this next 28 minutes goes or whatever. <laughs> um, well, it's a good time to check in with you guys, Jonathan and James, because right now is nearly the end of one of my favorite tournaments of the year because part of it is played in my hometown of Montreal, the Rogers Cup slash Coupe Roger. You guys got out there this week. Yeah, we make an, uh, try and make an effort to get there every year. I think this may have been our eighth time going to the Rogers Cup. Yeah. And it was a little bit different this year because so many of the big names didn't show up, right? So we kind of didn't really know what to expect. Uh, yeah, but, you know, it's still exciting and you still get a lot of great tennis, even though, you know, the numbers two, three, and four were gone. <laughs> You know, we went to Montreal last year as well to see the uh, French version of this tournament and just absolutely loved it. It feel very lucky that it's so close to home. We came back from Montreal kind of wishing we could move to Montreal. remember driving back on the 401 and as soon as we hit the suburbs of Toronto, we both were kind of very depressed. Like, why? <laughs> well, that, that warms my heart because obviously that is my hometown. But what I think is really cool and just to sort of bring anybody up to speed who doesn't know how this tournament works it's pretty cool how it switches every year would you guys walk us through what happens yes yeah, so this year the men were playing in toronto and the women were in montreal and next year it will switch so the women will be here in toronto and the men will be in montreal and the men's tournament is a obviously a master series tournament uh, but both are you know pretty important to the calendar and we usually get most of the top players here number two three and four didn't play because of the olympics right 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 well Yes and no, because uh, Federer is out because of, at the time we thought, because he was saving himself for the Olympics. Well, Rafa wasn't there because of the ongoing wrist thing, so that wasn't a big surprise. Uh, and Andy, I don't really know what Andy's excuse was, but I think he wants another medal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like how much of a big difference in practice could being in Mallorca with Rafa been than actually getting match practice in Toronto? <laughs> Right. It is Mallorca. Sure. It's kind of like Serena for me. Like maybe he just wanted a little bit of vacation. Totally. Well, what, when I was watching a little, I thought like this is like a tournament. This is like a preview of what tennis in 2019 is going to be like. Where like most of the big four is gone. You know what I mean? It was strange that like the Raonic match is like a really big match, like on top of the Canada thing. Um, he's one of the two or three players who you'd want to watch. Um, and for a lot of years, you've kind of known who you want to watch just immediately going in. The, the thing about watching going to the Rogers Cup in Toronto is that every year since Milos' emergence, he is the the person that's billed the most. 
Wow. Yeah, I guess that's right. So, yeah. Like maybe say for Roger, right? But like he's he's on everything. And I feel like this is the first year where he was one of the absolute favorites. Mostly right. because a lot of the top players weren't there, you know? Well, but also because this is like really his emergence now. Like, you know, he made the finals at Wimbledon. He didn't play great, but I think he definitely like leveled up. So now he's kind of grown into the hype, maybe you could say? Oh, yeah. yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, he's really become, he's sort of grown into his hype, at least here in Canada. Yeah. Um, you know, he is a legit threat at nearly every tournament he goes to now, and that's that hasn't always been the case. Mm-hmm. And being on the ground in Toronto, you definitely get a sense of Tennis Canada pushing the Canadian players. Like, that's always been the case, whether you get opening night matches with Peter Polanski or Frank Dancevich, right? Um, and so... For a while, the hype surrounding Milos here hasn't always matched his game. And that definitely isn't the case this time around. Yeah. I feel like the hype surrounding Bouchard is certainly something that we should talk about. Yes, we should, Caitlin. Yes, we should. <laughs> yeah. Chris, you want to um, give a little backstory about our conversations about Bouchard up until this moment? Sure. Uh, our conversations about Bouchard, uh, when Caitlin starts them, have been, I would say, almost uniformly negative, <laughs> except for <laughs> except for when she got injured. Like you had like an appropriate amount of like, wow, that's a really horrible way to get injured. But uh, I got a text, I think it was earlier this week, from Caitlin saying that she's sort of becoming a Bouchard fan, which is a real turn of events um, because you had you had like a, I would say a visceral dislike for her game, uh, not all that long ago. And before I get into that, I just want to like gut check. I'm talking to two Canadians here. How have you felt about Eugenie Bouchard? For anybody who doesn't know, she kind of came out of nowhere. She's like 22. She rushed to the top of the game, made a couple of Grand Slam semis, made a final, plummeted for a minute, didn't shake hands with people on certain occasions, um, and then got injured and now is sort of mounting a comeback. Yeah. How have you guys felt about her? Because I've had a lot of very strong opinions. Before she really hit the top, I guess making that deep run in Australia, uh, the year before, like I'd kind of seen her and been aware of her, and I was like, "Wow, this is pretty exciting. This could be pretty cool, right?" And then the the emergence of Jeannie Bouchard actually happened, and I wasn't really on board. <laughs> <laughs> and it was this really quick turn of events. Well, I should say that you know we both live in Canada, but we're both transplants. Yeah. You know, so the Canadian pride thing is not as strong. You know, the force is not as strong with us. Uh, but I have never really been into the sort of a Sharapovian attitude that I've seen from her. And I realize that criticizing a young woman's attitude is very loaded and try to stay away from that a bit. But uh, like you mentioned, you weren't a fan of her game. I, I feel the same way. Like her, you know, kind of hitchy strokes are just not something that appeals to me personally. Issue with the way the game marketed her above other players who would have been more deserving, right? Like, that was something that was a visceral reaction on my part that I couldn't help, <laughs> you know? I feel like you guys literally just mapped out my emotional trajectory with her. I think <laughs> a lot of it is not in her hands, the way she was marketed, and she was got all these endorsements and put in short skirts and was the only player in, like, Elle magazine and stuff like that. And, you know, I mean, I guess you can turn that stuff down, but if you're a pro athlete with... A window of playing for you don't know how long it's going to last it's hard to tell people to turn that kind of opportunity down yeah. but her game and her attitude really really rubbed me the wrong way the, mm. the sportsmanship thing was not cool with me she she on a couple of occasions refused to shake her opponent's hand saying that she didn't feel like she could wish her opponent luck before the match to which everyone responded like that's not the point 
of that. <laughs> right. This is an empty symbol, but it's important, Jeannie. All right. <laughs> exactly. And then her game is just, yeah, her strokes are hitchy. She is kind of a basher in a way that's a little bit boring to watch. However, having said this, I feel like this week in particular, you know, she's had a couple of tournaments this year that she's done better and better in. I feel like maybe she kind of cooled out a little bit and she got a little bit more mature. And I think she's handling herself a little bit better. And everything we're saying is very loaded because I don't think we give male athletes the same scrutiny, especially young ones. I mean, look at, you know, Nick Kyrgios or like Thakanakis or any of these like kids who are kind of jerks. Like any Australian. <laughs> Just let's just say basically Australia's freshman class is like malcontents Uh, and Bouchard for any, you know, she just doesn't seem like that cool or nice, which who who cares? She's a professional athlete. Can you kind of like a mean a little bit like you don't like the fact that Muguruth is like seems like maybe a little bit of a mean girl like you're 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 fine with that, right? Yeah, it was never the mean girl thing. It was just more like she doesn't seem that sporting. Yeah, right. Is is that what James and Jonathan, you guys, it sounds like you, you thought the same thing. I'm pretty much on the same page with you. The handshake thing really, really bugged me. She was so aloof about it. Like, you know that it's not, you know, wishing your opponent good luck. You're not wishing that they will beat you. It's a ritual. It's professionalism. You know, <laughs> damn near everything in sports is a ritual. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Of it was, course. It just looks so bad. I, I don't know why you would embarrass your team like that. You know, because that was in Fed Cup. Mm-hmm. But know. but to Chris's point, I I do take Chris's point about there being a, a similarity between Muguruza and Bouchard, perhaps. Um, and what's the reason why it seems Bouchard gets more of a, a heckling than Muguruza in that re- in that re- regard? Right. Probably because Muguruza has earned it, right? Okay. Well, well yeah. also, I mean, I think like on that point about earning it, like I wonder whether Bouchard just because she has like had with the the injury like some legit weird bad luck that she's like getting through like i think that like has hum- has humanized her right i mean like she's like clearly struggled and not with like a twisted ankle but this has been like almost like a year of her career right yeah i mean when you see her having to retire because of concussion like symptoms months after the fact that's really scary yeah i think yeah. people can right. relate to that so so caitlin is it that or have you been a parent for a year and you're getting soft which is <laughs> Oh God! What's the change? <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely getting soft. Uh, the amount of commercials that I cry at now is alarmingly high. <laughs> <laughs> that said, yes, watching her struggle and battle back from a really terrifying head injury is pretty cool. And also, I think her game has some more nuance on the court. I think she that maturity yeah. tran- has translated into her game. She's got more dimensions. She's coming in. She was always, you know, an Agassi like hug the baseline, take things out of the air swinging volley kind of player but i've seen better defense and better strategy from her she kind of only had one mode before and i feel like watching her play this summer i've seen her expand into defense that then she can go back into offense and that feels like that must you know my theory is that players show you who they are by the games that they play and i feel like if that is true which who knows but if that's true then she's she's expanded her She's matured. She's expanded her, her maybe mindset or approach, and I, I think that's really cool. I've seen a lot of people make the point that perhaps her better play is linked to being back with Saviano again, which, I mean, makes perfect sense too, right? Yeah, if you have a coach who's been with you for thick and thin, especially as you start to ascend, going back to that familiar turf, sure. I, I don't think that that's nothing. Um, 
And I also think, you know, she's had to play. She kind of, it came a little too easy and she turned into a jerk. A year later, nothing, you know, went her way and she got a really scary injury and she could have been petulant, but it's and instead she seems to have put the work in and her game has, has responded. So like, that's really cool. So hats off. I, I still reserve judgment. If she does something else jerky, like refuse to shake a hand again. Right. Like if it's a really short handshake at the net, she's done. Like it has to be a full two or three pump handshake. Up there. Yeah. She's got two strikes. Yeah. Ooh. I could talk about the coupe Roger. I choose the French pronunciation all day long. <laughs> I want to draw attention to something that you wrote uh, on your site, the sports scribe yesterday because people who don't listen to your podcast and anybody who doesn't should because it's hilarious. It's definitely the most tea-spilling tennis podcast, wouldn't you say? Uh, I don't know if we're fit to judge. I know. We, we, we try. try. We, we try and we also try to be a little bit reserved and not go too far. <laughs> I don't know well, the article you posted this week comparing Serena Williams and Mariah Carey is right in your sweet spot. I could write for 20 years and it will always be one of my favorite things. Okay, so for people who don't immediately see the similarity between Mariah Carey, perhaps the finest voice of a generation, and Serena Williams, definitely the finest athlete of a generation, what are what are what else are the similarities? I'm, I was sitting here trying to remember why I wrote this thing, right? And I think at the time I was going through uh, trying to write something about the shadiest moments in tennis history, and somewhere along the line, the connection was made in my head, and the more I thought about it, the more look for pictures and gifs it just all kind of game came together uh mariah has 18 number one serena has 22 grand slams they're both on top of their game you know some will take issue with that and mariah right now fine <laughs> but you know she's a legendary diva at this point she's earned her stripes uh they both throw shade like nobody's business <laughs> mm -hmm. yes. any particular shade moments that you feel like mariah or serena um, should particularly be remembered by? Uh, my absolute favorite Serena moment, and we put it at the beginning of our podcast, is uh, with Martina Hingis saying she doesn't have a formal education. <laughs> it was so just bruising. She's always been the type of person that just says things and she just speaks her mind. And, you know, I just guess it has a little bit to do with not having a formal education. <laughs> but Mariah's is the famous, I don't know her. Uh -huh. But Jonathan probably has some better ones that which has come back again this year as I still don't know her. <laughs> <laughs> She's just relentless with She's it. She's brutal. One autograph. Hi, how are you? How are you? You look so amazing. Oh, you're so sweet. What do you think about people still referencing I don't know her all these years later? I still don't know her. Ah, that's perfection. I love it. Among the other things that they have in common, they both like small dogs. They both... <laughs> know how to stage a comeback they both have alter egos whoa eerie <laughs> and they both know brett ratner so i mean it's a pretty like it's a pretty it's a pretty exhaustive list they might be the same person in fact and then to top it all up the last one i found was them wearing the same dress i mean well, I... your honor i rest my case <laughs> um chris you have some other like tiny tidbits do you want to take us into that uh you found some other like really fun little things that happened in the past like two weeks well just i mean the the weirdest one uh is uh i guess kuznetsova at the tournament someone put hair conditioner in her shoe while she was at the locker room <laughs> she instagram a picture of it i've been trying to figure out who <laughs> what player would do that like like let's assume for for a moment for for no reason that it's a fellow player who do you think in the draw would <laughs> would prank Kuznetsova like that? Who seems to me like one of the most well-liked players, right? Seems like everybody loves her. 
um, who who do you think would do that? I don't know. Like 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 I was thinking, uh, uh, Kerber seems like a real competitor, but um, but maybe she's above that. I mean, she's like ranked second. I don't know. <laughs> Bouchard. Bouchard. <laughs> boy, boy, did did not take long, Caitlin. <laughs> she's in your good books now, Caitlin. <laughs> That's a good point. I should come up with somebody else. Do you guys have a theory? Anybody you think could do that? See, when I first saw this thing, I just assumed it was a, a playful prank. And then maybe when Svetlana was kind of annoyed by it or pointed out that was pointed out to her that she should be annoyed by it, the person who did it was like, uh, maybe I'm not going to reveal myself. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, had that been me with conditioner in my shoe, I would not find it funny <laughs> at all. I just, you know, who doesn't love Svetlana? Yeah, really. I, just, I can't imagine who would do that. Salon is amazing, but also keep in mind that every one of these pro athletes, even the ones with like janky contracts, have like 14 pairs of everything. Right. Okay. Right. Right. So I don't think it's like, oh no, my one shoe is destroyed. I can't play any more matches. (laughs) Yeah. It could be someone like Coco Vandaway, you know. Oh dear. Coco. Coco totally did it. (laughs) And I don't think it was playful. Coco will cut a bitch. Oh yeah. Yeah. Chris, what else you got? This is uh, a lot less lighthearted, but uh, Federer done uh, until 2017, uh, and it's only uh, July of 2016. So I don't know. I mean, his, he had such a positive spin because he's such a positive guy. Like even after he loses majors, if you look, watch his pre- press conferences, he'll he'll just say, "I thought I played well." You know, get to the final, you win, you lose, and that was kind of the attitude he's had about this. Uh, but he would be what? He'd be 36 when he came back or 35 um it's just weird to see him he was so invincible um it's weird to see him have any injury at all especially a long-term injury like this you two both have young kids be careful in the bathroom that's the message <laughs> yeah be taken from you. don't draw any baths <laughs> i mean for somebody as you said who is so invincible and didn't really have injuries his entire career like this is what takes him down you know it's really crazy right. it's like al capone with taxes you know it's never it's never what you <laughs> yeah. yeah that is really good <laughs> yeah i um you know i was never like a huge federer fan more of an appreciator but i found the news really sad you know that it's just really i expect him to come back and i don't know what kind of form he'll be in when he comes back um i'm encouraged that he seems to be taking rehabbing his body so seriously but it is it's sad not to see him on tour you know and for him to have to take that long of a time to rehab something that won't need further surgery like i I wonder what was the decision making that went into like taking this time off you know like i'm I'm not a, a a physical therapist or have any real idea about what the physical body is like you know i come at, at sport from a sociological perspective <laughs> you know that's not my uh, but when I heard it was he was done for the year, I just immediately assumed he'd need another surgery. Yeah, and he's just he's just rehabbing. Yeah, I was gonna say that like he's like I'm gonna take six months off to to uh, rehab, and it's like you have four young children. Like how much of a rehab could this possibly be? <laughs> like that's like a devastating setback to have to spend that much more time with that many more kids. Per- I don't know personally. I I'm glad he's still out there. I think you know fans are just so so excited to see him still so you know when you've had a career like this you kind of earn the right to play even if you suck you know and he doesn't suck but i don't know i'm i'm glad he's still playing and i hope he can come back 
My perspective on this is shaped from two perspectives and two experiences, right? The first being growing up in Jamaica, my first favorite athlete was Merle Nati, legendary sprinter. And she sprinted well into her fourth. She was even running at 50. Not well, but, you know, she wanted to run, right? And from age 32 onward, Jamaicans all around me were saying that she should retire. You know, that she wasn't good enough to win an Olympic gold medal, so why is she still doing it? And as a 12-year-old, I took real issue with that. You know, like, this is what she's done her entire life. If this is what she wants to do, like, more power to her. And then, of course, being a Venus fan and seeing what she's done in the last five years, you know, that's cemented my perspective on this. Like, you know, a lot of these great athletes, I feel like we're conditioned to think of them as needing to go out on top. But if they, for me, if they want to stay on and, play till they're 40 something like in basketball and just ride the bench you know <laughs> and be like a, a locker room player and just be around the game that's that's good for them if that's what they want to do you know i mean it sucks for us as fans to see our greats not be what they were i totally get that but i've just put myself in the corner of you know you do you all right gents we should probably wrap it up um because I have some major tea that is not fit for podcast consumption that I'm going to share with you after we stop Whoa. recording. Wow. Okay. I know. On that note, yeah. uh, thank you, James and Jonathan, so that much for the fantastic the body sir, for joining Shut us in Canada. Thank you so much. Oh, we had a blast. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Now. Thanks for having us on. We love this podcast, by the way.